Hello, and welcome to this McKnight's Market Leaders podcast. I'm Diane Estabrook, staff writer for McKnight's Home Care Daily. Joining me today are Stephanie Parks, Chief Development Officer for Reliant Rehabilitation, and Jalen Bocknight, Vice President of Operations at Tag Management. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Diane. Stephanie, I want to start with you. Last month, McKnight's hosted a webinar sponsored by Reliant titled Balancing Quality and Expense for Higher Value Therapy. And during that session, you mentioned the recent therapy assistant reimbursement change. What do operators need to know about this change? It's surprising that here we are halfway through the year already. And this assistant reimbursement change for under Medicare Part B, it actually effectively is a 12% discount on the CPT codes. And it's not um, unlike what CMS did with nurse practitioners and physician assistants several years ago. But um, you know, the the cuts actually went somewhat quiet under the radar. And in conversations we're having with operators, even now, they're still not fully understanding the impact. And so one thing that we've been trying to do is just educate We actually went out before the cut in January and had conversations with all of our existing partnerships and were very transparent about what was happening. And, you know, we actually chose, Reliant chose to take the full impact of those cuts. However, if you're in-house, if you have a a different, like a management model, you as an operator are taking the full uh, impact of that 12% discount. But also, if you have a full outsourced service provider, you need to look at your invoices and compare and make sure that after January, that adjustment, just like the MPPR adjustment that we've had since 2012, 2013, that they're actually giving you the the percentage of the fee schedule after the assistant adjustment. So I know that, that sounds confusing, but just take your December invoice, look at your Part B charges, take your January through June, and just make sure they look different and that the codes are being discounted. So make sure you take a look at that. Jaylen, I want to address the next question to you. After PDPM was implemented in October of 2019, many operators believed that therapy would no longer have a key role in reimbursement. Were those concerns justified? Hello, Diane and Stephanie. It's nice to be here. I truly do not believe that they were. I know that we all went in with a a lot of concerns uh, with the change in the model. And then so soon after we changed the payment model, we, we entered into the pandemic. And so I think a lot of us have not had the headspace to look at things as closely as we've wanted to. But as we've looked back over the years, I think it's important to remember that Therapy still remains one of our most vital clinical services, both for serving our residents and also for admissions and for speaking with our hospital partners and our providers. The other thing that I think it's important to remember is that while we may not be minute driven anymore like we were, the gross majority of our skilled need is still being met by therapy. While nursing can create a skilled need, it's a very high bar under PDPM. And for most of our short-stay residents that come in and our Medicare residents, they are coming to us for that therapy. So having a very good therapy partner and a very good team is is the key to providing not only high quality, but also marketable care. 
The other things that I think might be going under the radar a little bit with PDPM is that the coding of the MDS is still vitally important and it still comes from a lot of that documentation and coding still comes from your therapist. For instance, if, if you don't have good and timely coding of your GGs, you're going to be missing areas. If you do not have appropriate communication with your providers to get the correct ICD-10s, you're going to miss some coding there. And these are areas in which if you have therapists in, in your building, if you have a therapy partner in your building that is allowing your therapist to really function at the top of their license, these are areas that they're going to be able to provide proper evaluation. They're going to be able to direct appropriate provision of care. And they're going to be able to provide you with that documentation that you need in order to have correct CMG coding for both your PT, your OT, and especially in this new arena, your speech CMGs. One example of a speech CMG is the need to make sure that you are, are looking at the appropriate diet for your residents. And if you don't have a good therapy partner that is in your interdisciplinary care team meetings that is communicating very appropriately with your providers. These are areas that you're going to miss that still make a vital, vital portion of both provision of care and appropriate reimbursement. Stephanie, I want to address this next question to you. What other areas should operators understand when comparing therapy models and proposals? Just fully understanding the cost and making sure that the reimbursement is aligned. We find a lot of surprise hidden charges when we are evaluating sometimes value-added charges, non-productive hours that are billed, and many times the providers can't explain you know, what was that extra $5,000 charge for on this invoice. And then also we see that um, many times when you're looking at reimbursement, you can possibly be like on a, a permanent model or some model that you would, the therapy provider could provide more minutes on a per minute model and bill for that. And, it, and it's probably valuable time, but there's no risk share. So that means that the, the operator, the provider is, is billing and getting reimbursed less. So they could end up in a negative situation financially. And it's just really a watch out. You've got to, you've got to manage that and you've got to triage and work with your clinical teams and make sure that if your contract isn't um, aligned, that you're not ending up in an upside down situation on your therapy services. The other side is on the in-house pieces, therapists can be providing a lot of time um, in non-productive ways that's uh, valuable and obviously having clinicians involved in clinical team meetings with family members, with education training is extremely important, but you also have time where they could be spending time not in patient care outside of those areas that I just described doing things that other, other um, departments could be doing. It's an age-old issue of the value and engaging in patient care. Gotcha. Jay Lance, probably. Yeah, I was just going to say if she wants to follow up on that, that question again, it was what should operators understand when comparing therapy models and proposals? Sure, Diane. And this is, this is always 
like Stephanie said, this is kind of an age old question that, that we have faced as operators for years. And I think as a responsible operator, we have to be constantly looking at the way we provide services, not just through therapy, but in all areas of facility operation because we do have to remain financially viable while at the same time being able to meet all the needs of our residents and our families and our providers. And especially under the change with PDPM, I think it really caused us to have to re-examine where we placed our focus as providers and how we were going to use the resources as that reimbursement model changed. We actually did look as operators, we looked at all the different models as we were going in. And in the end, we did decide uh, to go with a full service model. And part of the reason that we decided to do that, and, and I believe it has played out well for us, is going with that model really allowed us and, and, and with a good responsible uh, therapy provider. You do have to, I think you have to be very careful and look at your contracts and look at what their drive and their reason for being is. Um, you need to find somebody that's very focused on patient care and is very focused on being a partner. But if you're able to do that, we found that we were much more able to provide an evidence-based and outcome-driven therapy model by doing that. And we were able to do that in a manner that was very fiscally responsible for us and that also allowed us to plan for a known cost of therapy. I think what Stephanie was, was just speaking about, if you are in a model that is full service, or even if you're in an in-house model, you really need to look at how you're using your therapist and how you're using your licensed persons in your home. If you're in a full service model, you probably really do need to look at that invoice. And if there are costs coming through for what they might consider non-productive time, that's going to be difficult. And it would be very difficult for us to appropriately use our therapists in our care planning, in our speaking with our providers, in our ability to communicate as that interdisciplinary team and really provide that high quality care. I also think that going through, especially a big change, the depth that was able to be provided to us by using a large national and, and very responsible full service model, we have a lot more protection from audits. And these days, everybody loves to audit. We have done a very good job, I think, working together as partners with giving ourselves that protection. We need therapists that feel comfortable in the provision of their services, that feel comfortable, that have a, a depth and a support system that they're able to utilize. If people are coming in, we're, we're having people come in with more and more acute issues and having that partner with us allows our therapist to be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, this may be a, a diagnosis that I have never seen or that I haven't seen in a while. We have that depth to provide those standards of care, those standards of practice, and give them that support, which has been wonderful in our facilities. And our providers and mid-levels have very much appreciated it. It also has given us in this crazy changing world that we have where rules and regulations change almost by the minute, it feels like. Um, it's given us a, a resource for compliance in many areas, not just through the therapy provision, but a partner that does have that depth and does have that national presence and 
and has allowed us to be able to move quickly and remain compliant with with all of those changes that have come through. You've talked about the full service model, but have you considered any alternative models, Jalen? We did. We took, like I said, we we took a very hard look at it, uh, especially with the initiation of PDPM. And I think a lot of operators took a very hard look at it when that when that uh, reimbursement model changed. In the end, I believe that we made the right decision for us to stay with that full service model, especially with that change in reimbursement. What we were looking for was to be able to be fiscally responsible and to be able to provide services with known costs without having those surprises monthly, without having to outsource things like clinical depth, clinical precision, without having to outsource that communication with our providers, without having to outsource so many things that go along with that in-house model. Gotcha. Stephanie, what are the most common differences that you see when transitioning from an in-house program to full service? Yeah. So, um, you know, what's interesting is we talked about PPM in 2019 and we saw a movement for providers who ran outsourced programs for years and years, want to try something different and flip it to in-house. But we also saw the opposite trend. We saw some, and actually we had a two large in-house with their own therapy company, large providers decide that this was the time that they didn't want to have the headache of having their own therapy company and flip to an outsourced model. And with that, the feedback now that we've gotten is that, you know, here we are a couple of years later and who knew what was coming, right, with the, with the pandemic. But the feedback was that the therapist actually felt like they had more resources, like Jalen was talking about, more support. You have clinicians who are trained in specific specialties so they have the ability to get specialized training. And that's something that um, is valuable as a clinician and being able to practice at the top of your license, being encouraged to be part of the clinical team in the facility. And it, and it wasn't that we removed them from being able to be ingrained. We actually encouraged them to be more involved in triaging clinically with the, the facility. So that's the feedback we got from the, the therapist. And obviously, anytime that you work in an in-house, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, there's a lot of anxiety. And so we just wanted, you know, to make it as smooth as possible, but to give as much as many resources as we could, both to the therapist, but also to the facility teams from administratively, processes, um, resources like um, PDPM. So we have... Um, Jalen was talking about the speech therapy. And I'm a speech path, so I like this one. But we found that the BIMS wasn't giving accurate an accurate reflection of cognitive deficits for our residents. So um, our clinical team put together a crosswalk that would go from speech speak, which we we provide um, a, a test called a RIPA G, which is a deep dive objective um, standardized test and convert it, crosswalk it over to BIMS. And so we found that that really helped with the coding on the MDS to get an accurate reflection of cognitive deficits for the residents. That's just one example, but that's something that in an in-house model, you probably don't have the resources to create something that clinically specific. 
We also have TPIS nose certified trainers on our team and they come out and not only train our therapists, but they're also training the facility staff as well. So I could go on and on about resources, but really that's the feedback that, that we get is that they do have additional resources and so do the facility. Jalen, what do you think of institutional special needs plans and how do you ensure the quality of those plans? Well, I've I think that this is becoming more and more of an issue as we go forward. We're seeing we're seeing this pop up in areas and regions that I have to be honest with you, I'm somewhat surprised that it is that it is moving as quickly as it is. So I think it's definitely something we all need to look at. As far as risk sharing, I have always found and I have always been a, a big believer in risk sharing with your partners, with any contract services that you have, I think that that creates an environment of increased responsibility on both sides, both on the operations side and the service partner side. And I think when you're looking at that kind of capitated rate, I think this becomes even more vitally important that as partners and as team members, you really are able to focus on the best use of resources and the most appropriate use of those resources for each of your residents, how to use them, when to use them, how to get the most out of the resources that we have. So I think it's, it's really something to look, to look at going forward. And Stephanie, I'd like you to weigh in on that too. What do you think of institutional special needs plans? Sure. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that Jaylen just shared. ISNPs in general have become more popular. So we were seeing a few years ago, we had you know one of our providers try it. And um, now we're seeing it across the country, right? We're seeing East Coast, West Coast, Midwest. Everyone is interested. I, I think it's out of necessity to try something that, you know, how can we be take responsibility of the dollars and make sure that we get good outcomes? As a therapy provider, it was, you know, a few years ago, it was something that was really scary. It was how do we get good outcomes in this very, with very limited resources, right? And how do we make sure that the patient gets everything they need? Now we've gotten very comfortable with, again, teaching our clinicians that they're using their license skills and judgment practice at the top of your license. And when you get a patient to a level on a, a specific area and you think that you can triage clinically with the rest of the resources at the facility, maybe a step down on a certain goal may make sense. And as long as you have the right clinical team and the processes in place, you can. we have learned in a capitated model with a risk share environment, we can get great outcomes for our patients. Jalen, in April, CMS proposed a rule to recalibrate PDPM reimbursement that resulted in a 4.1% payment cut to providers. How is that going to change or affect your operations? And do you have any early thoughts on potential mitigation strategies? That's an excellent question. Um, as we know, as we know, um, whenever you're entering into some uh, to some new billing area with CMS. Even if you even if you're looking forward and you feel like you're not going to see the impact of of those cuts early on, uh, we know that if the intent is there from CMS that it, it is going to go ahead and come through. And I think that as we move forward and CMS continues to restrict resources, it's going to become even more important that we focus on our documentation, we focus on appropriate billing, we focus on appropriate coding, and. I also think that it's going to increase the need for what 
we've talked about a little bit um, on this podcast about the need to be able to reliably predict costs of operations. And that is one of the things um, that as an operator, we have seen much more predictably and much more reliably using a full service model. But again, this is an area where when you engage with your service providers and your partners, you really need to both be on the same page about what your risk sharing is, where you are able to be successful and where your partner is able to be successful and how you can come together so that you can focus both on those financial priorities and also on your care-driven priorities. I do think that as we move forward, because we continue to see these restrictions um, in in Medicare reimbursement, I think it's going to become more and more important that we focus on our Medicaid reimbursement models and we focused on the quality of care and the quality of billing and documentation that we have on our Medicaid portion. And this is an area that well, and I am a physical therapist, so I have to I have to admit that I have a little bit of, of, of bias here, but that we focus on really, really using our therapy departments as a way to continue to evaluate and screen for resident needs and that we lean up on therapists who are being allowed to focus at the top of their license to be able to appropriately bill for our Medicaid reimbursement. I know that um, CMI is a big talking point right now, and I actually am in a CMI state for Medicaid reimbursement, and it has been such an issue and a necessary focus for us. And having that good, strong, robust therapy partner that's willing to work with you through that can make it can make a very, very large difference. Stephanie, what are your thoughts about that? That four point one percent payment cut. Yeah, I just have one. Um, I, I, I call it a fun fact that I'd like to add to Jaylen's comments is that um, in, in the proposed rule, we've gone in and researched it and put some numbers down. Obviously, we're always you know concerned about what's going to happen with with reimbursement on both sides, right? For our clients, for our company, and what we found is that the lion's share of the cut is actually coming out of the therapy CMGs. And I don't think many people have talked about it or maybe they haven't paid attention to it. But if the majority is coming out of the therapy CMGs, a great mitigation strategy here would to have a percentage of the therapy component CMG as your contract, right? So again, for the in-house models, you're taking the full burden of the hit. However, for this 4%, if you have a percentage of CMG from a therapy company as your payment, as your um, cost, then the majority of it is mitigated. And just a few minutes left, uh, one final question. There's been a lot of talk about adding services. Uh, Jaylene, and I'll start with you. What other services should full-service therapy companies provide um, as the industry's needs are beginning to evolve? I think that's a very interesting question, especially going forward. I think that I would go back Uh, a little bit to what we've been talking about, about the need to have licensed professionals in our facilities that are allowed to function as as a licensed professional and are allowed to function at the top of their license. So I think that you need to be looking at whether or not your therapy providers or your in-house therapist, however you're, you're providing that, how those therapists are able to 
to work with you uh, on marketing, to work with you in your interdisciplinary team meetings, are able to work with you through your care planning. I know that we had also talked about a little bit, I, I spoke a little bit about CMI and Medicaid. I think that that's an important area. Uh, one important area in CMI is always going to be restorative care. And restorative and therapy can go along so, so very well. And if you are able to get your therapy department to be very involved in your restorative department, not only are you going to see some differences in your documentation and your reimbursement, but you are going to be able to provide such a better level of care and a level of that maintenance therapy and making certain that your residents are getting what they need. I think that as we go forward, we're just going to all have to be very flexible and really make sure that we are involved with partners who are willing and able to engage with us in the different needs in the quickly changing world. And, and Stephanie, just to quickly, any thoughts on that? Absolutely, yes. So um, we're always evolving as a company. We listen to our clients and their changing needs. Um, we have we have relationships like Jalen that have been with us from almost the beginning of the company, right? So it's important that we do evolve and we do listen. One thing is that that we've always held strong to we do we do one thing as far as an offering, as far as what we do. Our core is PTOT speech, and we we do one thing, we do it well. However, um, with the evolving needs, one thing recently we did was wellness programming for a client, but it wasn't wellness programming. We do wellness programming already for long-term care residents, but this was wellness for their employees to engage their employees in Tai Chi and Walk It Out Wednesday and some fun activities to, to really holistically take care of the employees. And if you take care of the employees, they're going to feel better about taking care of the residents. So that was a fun one. And that was at a request from, from one of our clients. Um, the marketing and systems development, but really putting together meaningful co-branded marketing materials and meaningful deep dives into the data and say, well, how can we improve this? Not just, yes, we'll send a rehab director out to give cookies. This is real impactful census development and marketing approach. Case management. So another talking about capitated payers and the influx of, of managed care payers is having a team of case managers on our side that work with the facility case managers that go to the payers and work together to get the best outcome for the patient. And then finally, the training and education of the facility teams, right? So not just training and education of the therapist, but also providing resources to the CNAs and the, the nurses and you know all the staff in the facility as well. Terrific. Lots of great information. Thank you so much again to Stephanie Parks, Chief Development Officer for Reliant Rehabilitation, and Jalen Bucknight, Vice President of Operations for Tag Management. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Thank you again. For McKnight's, I'm Diane Estabrook. Music